Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello, and welcome to Stop. Hammer time, and it's a triumphant end of season stop hammer time as we celebrate uh, our sixth place finish. Uh, a sixth of our potential crowd watched us finish in sixth place, uh, leading to the probably quite accurate speculation that if a fifth of the crowd had been there, we would have finished fifth. And if, if 30,000 people had been there, we might have finished in second place. Um, and uh, one of us, one of tonight's guests, was actually at the game uh, with me this week uh, to celebrate our Jim Grant. Good evening. Hello. And the greatest legal mind this country has ever seen. A mind like a steel trap. It is, of course, Simon Pentel. Good evening. Lovely to see you both. Um, now it's all over. Yes, it is yeah. all over. And um, so on Sunday, uh, a large bunch of people that uh, listen to this podcast or participate in this podcast met at the Black Lion uh, in Plasto. And uh, then, then uh, most of them went to the game, <laughs> leaving just me, Richard Johnston, Mark Gower and Nick Daly to watch it on television, while all you other fuckers got in a bunch of cabs and went over to the stadium and watched it. Extraordinary. Oh, Extraordinary. Actually, me and Rob Banks got a bus. That's inaccurate. We got a bus. You got a bus. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, um, like Vladimir Sufal. Uh, he gets yes, the bus, yes. according to Twitter or Instagram. He does get the bus, yeah. Simon Pentel, you didn't see the game. You saw it on television like I did. I, I saw it on telly, and um, I have to say it was uh, as routine an experience as I could imagine. Um Look, I, I, getting to it, um, I thought we just we just did enough, really, as as we yeah. had to do. Um, and with all the um, overstated joy at going into um, the European equivalent of of the Carling Cup or whatever the bloody hell it's called, mm. um, I've got to say, I think for me, as much as it's great to finish above both Arsenal and Spurs and particularly Spurs, of course, I think that I'll look back in this season, funnily enough, with a sense that um, of regret. I actually believe that it was there for us. 
And um, I don't know if it was snatched away from us or we snatched it away ourselves. Look, I know at the beginning of the season, if anyone would have said after the first two games, West Ham are going to finish um, sixth and above a host of other great sides, I would have thought they should be certified, actually. But when it came to push came to shove, um, you know, I won't say we blew it because that's a bit harsh, but I really think we, we could have done it. I really do. And um, for a number of reasons, most of which um, went against us, we didn't. So um, I think it's a little bit like the, the old sort of booby prize. But listen, um, it makes a pleasant change for us to be sixth. Let's not kid ourselves. And I don't want to sound like a spoiled child, but I sound like one. I know that. Yeah. Um, I really just think it was a, a, an opportunity lost. In the end, there was a feeling that, yeah, that it, we, we, I mean, for, for weeks now, I've had a list of our eight last fixtures in front of me. And as we've done these podcasts week after week, sort of tick them off. And, um, um, you know, of those eight fixtures, we won half of them, which has been what we've done all season. Uh, we won half of them, drew one and lost three. And um, uh, so, you know, I, I, a few weeks ago, I think said, my 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 head says seventh, my heart says sixth, and I would like to get more points than our last highest um, finish, which was 62 um, under under Billich uh, in 2015-16. Uh, so it's kind of ticked every box for me. Yeah, I think you're I think you're right. If there if if just a few the results had gone our way, if we got the rub of the green, you know, it was a very narrow defeat to Chelsea. It was a very narrow defeat to Everton. The Newcastle game and letting Arsenal back in, having been 3-0 up, that, that's what cost us. Yeah. And the injury to Rice came at exactly the, the wrong the wrong time. Um, and, you know, although we, we won a few games without him, we also, we also lost three, I think, without him in the team. And I think probably including that Newcastle one. And, and uh, um you know, I, I, I think in the end, I, I felt Liverpool with their fixtures were always going to go past us. I, I just didn't see that that, that, that was never not going to happen. Um, uh, and it was, it was, you know, even if we, even if we'd have uh, um, been at full strength, who's who's to say? You know, I, I, I think in the end, the smallness of the squad and the length of the season and and, and so on caught caught up with us. And I, I don't think you can point a finger of blame about it. And, and to me, I, the feeling, certainly in the ground and on Sunday, we had a lovely day and I thought it was a very, had a kind of very festive feel about it. Um, and the feeling in the ground was celebratory and, you know, um, we have qualified for Europe and, and it is the group stage. So it is guaranteed European football. It's a bit different from having to kind of faddle your way through qualifying rounds and, and whatnot. Um, and we will be because because we're going to be seeded in like you know we're not we're, they haven't finished sort of sorting out the coefficients or whatever for the seeding yet but we're we're, we're not going to be you know among the top two seeds in groups so we are going to be in a group with a with a big European name a Napoli or a Lazio or an Eintracht Frankfurt or a you know um, so so you know I think it, there's a lot to look forward to to be honest. I'm not going to disagree with with any of that. As I said, I just think it was a, a lost opportunity, and I do agree with you, Jim. Absolutely, that um, if any game was pivotal in the run-in um, for me, it was the Arsenal game. You know, yeah. you, you can't be three 0 up and 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 draw. I was going to say lose through, draw through, but it felt like a loss. And in a funny sort yeah. of way, 
I think the two Arsenal games, both um, at their place and ours, um, were sort of pivotal um, because in the in the away game, albeit the second game of the season, and albeit we lost, you know, watching it, I had the sense of it's not maybe going to be as calamitous as everyone thought after the Newcastle game because we actually played quite well in that we game. We did, yeah. And although we lost, we I think there was a sense of optimism and it was almost the complete reversal, having been 3 hell up and then drawn through all a few weeks ago, that yes. felt like a real heavy defeat. And yes. I think there was a sort of carryover to the Newcastle game in, in a strange sort of way. And there again, you know, we were 2-0 down, got it back to 2-1, and then we went to 10 men. But um, if you think about it, really, we should have we should have won the Arsenal game. We should have at least got a point at St. James's Park. And if you think about it, we should have won away at Brighton. And those five points would have put us in the Champions League, no problem. But the run-in, you know, the run-in was tense and exciting. And, you know, there, there are just other football teams and their fortunes. I mean, you know, in a way, um, the season finished at the right time for us because Arsenal seemed to be putting together a real run. And there was a point at which you sort of thought, if there was a point at which if we lost our last couple of games, they could have caught us. Um, and, you know, Spurs were one of the three teams queued up behind us, like those queues of central defenders every time you get a corner. We had Liverpool, Chelsea and Spurs. And it wasn't difficult to see all three of those teams with their huge finances, you know, maybe back in something like January, eventually going past us. And it was sort of great that we managed to hold off Spurs. It was great that, um, you know, in, I mean, Everton fans must be sort of wondering what went wrong in the last sort of third of the season for them, because they looked uh, they looked mustard for a lot of the season, and they you know they uh, um, fell away quite alarmingly and, and weren't. And they very place. annoyingly came to us and set up to play us as if we were Man City. Yeah, and, absolutely. And did it rather well. You know, for a long time they but had everyone, a game in everyone, hand. Everyone heaps praise on Everton for that performance, and particularly Carlo Ancelotti. But again, I think it's one of those, I'm sorry to say it, that got away because even though they did play very well against us and we weren't exactly mustered that day, um, the two clearest goal-scoring opportunities yes, other than the goal they scored, you know, fell to us. I'm sorry, the Ben Rama header. And, and I, I don't want to you know, dig yeah. the guy out, but yeah. he should have stuck it in the bottom corner. Yeah. And, you know, on another day, um, Jared Bowen would have got some part of his anatomy to that shot that, you yeah. know, the Sufal shot that came off the post. And we would have won that game, even, you know, notwithstanding the balance of the game. It would yeah. have made no difference. No, that's right. That's football, though, isn't it? I mean, you know, um, we did. We, we, there was a little run there when we had sort of, uh, a, a, you know, one goal margin against Chelsea. We did beat Burnley by two, but then we had a sort of a nil one and a one one where we suddenly looked like we were finding it difficult to hit the back of the net. But then we finished with two goals, where we, two games where we scored three goals. So, um, you know, I think I think ultimately because goals did come from throughout the season from different areas of the pitch, like, you know, obviously Suchek wasn't really scoring in the latter part of the season, but he scored a valuable few bunch of goals at the beginning of the season. Um, you know, we will want to address a kind of striker issue, won't we, over the, over the summer? You know, I think we... Um, I think when you're, you know, Manchester City have a lot of players that score sort of nine or something. And in mm. fact, sort of no one that scores 25, you know, uh, I think they all chip in with, you know, nine or 10 goals. And that's part of their, 
that's part of what makes them really good. And it sort of looked a little bit like we had a lot of people who, you know, would put the ball in the back of the net, centre-backs from set pieces, Lingard, Antonio, Fornals, two on that, in that last game, mm-hmm. Suchek, you know, um, Bowen. Um, so, so it is good, but I think we They've do... all chipped in. They've all yeah. chipped in, and no one, I think, more significantly than, than Suchek. But that's where the problem lies, because... Um, absent Declan Rice, um, it's no it's no coincidence, is it, that Southwark's goal scoring prowess yeah. dropped dramatically when he had to effectively yeah. be the holder yeah. rather yeah. than the spare man. Because of course, what Declan does is give him the space to breathe and Absolutely. give him the freedom to join the play to be the last man in an attack. Which absent Declan, he can't do that because he's got to play the Declan Rice role which he doesn't do as well as Declan Rice, because I happen to think that Declan Rice is the best defensive midfield player in the United Kingdom. Um, I don't mean being British. I mean, within the United Kingdom, yeah. I think he's going to be astronomic when he gets better. And I, I really do believe people think he's good now. I mean, in, in three or four years' time, he's going to be off the scale good. Um, but importantly, he allows Suchek the freedom to, as I say, join the play and be the extra man when it, when it matters. And that's, you know, but we go back to the same old story. We have a fantastic spine and we've got a pretty decent first 11 with or without Jesse Lingard. But it's beyond that where the problem lies. And we've all identified it throughout the whole of the season. You know, we've got a very good team and I'm, and I stress the word team as a collective one through 11. It's when you get outside that. And I mean, uh, a few weeks ago, what I'm trying to remember what game it was, but I was looking at the bench thinking, Fuck me. Who are we going to bring on to change it? There's absolutely yeah. no one. I think that's right. And I mean, I, on one, in one way, if you, if you, one way of looking at that is it, it makes the job that Moyes has done all the more remarkable, it seems to me, to, to, keep, to keep the whole thing on the road, uh, you know, while bits have been falling off. Uh, I, I think it's been um, terrific. Um, and it is, you know, as I, I think that the, um, Looking ahead, uh, as you've said, Phil, you know it, it. It's a moment where we've got the basis of a team that we can we can be proud of and that we can build on. And history tells you that when we've been in that position, the club, not just these owners, but you know, and we've we've talked about this in, yeah. in, in previous podcasts. History says we fail to capitalise on these moments. We fail to take. We don't. Um, you know, speculate to accumulate at this point. You know, you've, you've, and, and and there's all kinds of excuses they can hide behind. But you know, in the you know the the kind of old football's finances in a mess after the pandemic and 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 all this that and the other. But it, if they are owners, if if they as they claim to be, and that we all suspect they're not, um, they've really, really, really got to you know give Moyes what he wants. Uh, uh, this summer, I'm not necessarily sort of going out madly and buying shed loads of players. I think, but three or four quality first team ready footballers. We have to have someone up front. You're absolutely right, Simon. We have to have someone who can step in. We're going to be playing, you know, quite a few games more next season. There will be plenty of opportunity for a third first team quality central midfielder to play games when there are injuries or suspensions or just to rest and rotate. Uh, Suchek and Rice um, 
and I, I, we we have got to. I think we've got to decide whether or not we 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 want to stick with the four four at the back. In which case, we've probably got to get a pacier uh, left back than Cresswell, although he's had a good season. Oh, we have to, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, and I think we need a centre half because I think um, Balbuena is on his way, isn't he? Um, and uh, Dawson has been uh, a manful stopgap, but. Uh, you know, it was his two own goals. For example. You know, he's got errors in him. His two own goals that cost us against Arsenal. And you know, I think he's 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 a fine, you know, committed blood and guts stopper. But we need something better than that. So I think, I, and I think Moyes will sign us, and I think a centre half will be a priority. I wonder what this. Talk about this. Sorry. I wonder what this youngster is that they've got. Alves, is it? Yeah, I mean, they obviously rate him, but yeah. I mean, you can't imagine that he's going to step in to the first eleven and and start bossing it. You know, he's they've got they've got to bring him on. Um, Diop hasn't developed quite as rapidly as we hoped he would, I think. But I think there's still a player in there. Um, but neither he nor Dawson. You want to be your first. You want Old Bonner and another one as good as Old Bonner starting don't you i think which um, brings me back to um in in the running you know we, we suffered unfortunately with a number of key injuries and i think ogbonna's absence is overlooked i thought on sunday he made all the difference in the world oh, it was and fantastic. if you i'm being a bit critical critical of, of dawson i mean i know he's as i think you you got the right word actually for him you manfully he's coped manfully but um he got done by calvert lewin terribly for the everton goal um, absolutely yeah. outpaced, repeated it the following week. Um, and there was a moment on Sunday where Ogbonna snaffled out danger, where y- you could see if it was anyone other than he, we were in real deep trouble. Yeah, I, I, um, I don't know, you, you might be referring to, there was a moment where Danny Ings got the ball and tried to it. turn in the box. And there was just this yeah. kind of rock of, <laughs> of yeah. Ogbonna behind him, beautifully positioned, get left him nowhere to go, you know, just kind of bounced off him. Um, yeah, I thought you know. I think he's 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 top top class of Bonner, um, uh, but he needs uh, he needs a, a good quality, younger, um, um, faster centre half partner. I think. What did you think of the performance on Sunday, Jim? Because you know, as Simon said, it was sometimes these games are a little bit of a procession, aren't they? They're, they they can have a, a feel of a kind of training game or a dead rubber, and we've seen a couple of those where we've scored uh, fairly freely in a in an end of season game. Sam Allardyce's Everton and away at Watford are two that stick in the mind. Yeah. 3-1 yeah. and 4-0, I think those two games yeah. were, and it right. felt a little bit like that. But it, but I um. I mean, I liked I, what I saw with the performances. I thought Bowen had a really good game. Bowen, yes, he uh, did. Um, does yeah, what he can do. Four now is an excellent yeah. game. So consistent, and good, nice for him to score. But you know, he needs to do that more often. I think he gets into goal-scoring positions and doesn't doesn't hasn't scored as many as he might have done. But he, I thought he was terrific again. He's um, a funny player, isn't he? Because he's sort of in in yeah. a way he he makes for himself a kind of free role. <laughs> Especially when Rice and yeah. Suchek are in the when Rice and Suchek are yeah. in the team, I think he yeah. um, he works very hard at the defensive side of the game. I think even if you know the team sheet says it's Antonio with uh, you know say Bowen, Lingard, or Ben Rama and Fournals behind it, Fournals will play a lot deeper than the others. Fournals will do some of that fetch and carry box to box stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, it I, seems to be I, his game. He seems to want to do that, you know. Yeah. Having seen, you know, all the games on television, it was interesting to see it in the stadium. We were, we were, you know, because I got the tickets quite, quite in the, you know, the, the flash sale later, uh, I was quite high up um, in the upper tier. But what that did give you is a sort of sense of the shape of the game. And, and it was interesting to see just what a, what a well-oiled machine the team is. The, the, you know, they lose possession, get into position, you know, hunt in packs to, to, to close space down. There's good movement off the ball when we, when, when we get possession. You know, it, it's, um, it, they play like a team that's confident. And Southampton started the games the better, the better team, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. Um, and had two chances that they really should have scored. Um, but once we got the second... I think the game, yeah, like you, you say, somewhere it was regulation after that, and it was the second half was flat. I mean, it was, yeah. you know, we took the foot off the gas. They weren't particularly interested in chasing it. They, you know, um, uh, but I think you know it was the occasion, and there was a sort of sort of sense that you know we're emerging, you know, nationally and 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 you know from from these dark times and a sort of, you know, and the, and the, I think the optimism about, I think we've got to be optimistic about uh, positive about going into Europe. I've said all along on the podcast that in many ways, the Europa League is a poison chalice and it is a challenge playing Thursday, Sunday, but um, you know, we've just got to dig in and we've got to enjoy it as fans. It doesn't happen very, very often. It might not happen <laughs> again in a hurry. No. So, and I think that was the feeling really. Um, and um it was yeah, it was heartwarming in the in the you know um, yeah, it wasn't a great game, it wasn't a great spectacle, but we won it at a canter really in the end. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, but it is um, yeah, Thursday Sunday. I mean, it's um, it's it really has uh, knackered a few teams, hasn't it? Wolves uh, sort of struggled for a while didn't they when they got well, into it and then the next is because they came up didn't they wolves and then they finished seventh which, which would have meant they yeah. got into it then i think they finished seventh the next season but it was a struggle for them and they started badly yeah but i would say they they they're an example of a team that has managed to to cope yeah. i mean leicester found it difficult but ultimately you know because of good investment um they they've they've come through it and they're now beginning to look Although they've missed out again, um, uh, they look they'll have the experience. They'll probably be seeded above us because of their because because they, their coefficient will be higher. Um, you know, they they they're showing the way actually, aren't they? They they are showing the way, and, and we we need to keep pace with them. It's them. Um, it's that kind of it's them a Villa um, Everton. But also, I would include Arsenal and Spurs now. Spurs, especially if Harry Kane uh, goes or, 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 or goes on strike because they want two hundred billion for him and nobody would pay it, pay it or whatever. Um, you know, now's our opportunity to kind of, kind of, you know, be, you know, rise up in that little group of, of clubs below the top three or four uh, and and really start moving on. But we, as I said, we've got to make those signings. Yeah. Um, well, it's. It's an imperative. Energy. It's an imperative, not just for next season. And the most important thing being that we don't allow um, Thursday night jaunts to undermine the bread and butter, which of course is always vital. And we don't want to be left in a struggle come no. February next season because we've been playing on Thursday nights for however many weeks that continues. But 
I think that, and I've said this before on the, um, on the previous episodes of the, of the podcast, recruitment this window is absolutely vital. Not, I think, just for this season, but arguably for the next 10 years um, at West Ham United. Um, I don't hold any great hopes because of our ownership. And unlike the example of Leicester, of course, Jim, they have great investment. They pay a lot of money for the right players and their scouting is simply exceptional. Um, they seem to find that players, you know, they, they, they sell Harry Maguire, that they found um, the Turkish fellow whose name for the moment I, I've a completely Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, they, they lose Chilwell. They find a replacement. They lose, um, you know, Kante. They, they lose Mares. They find a replacement. Mm. Um, whereas, you know, you get the feeling if we, heaven forbid, lose Declan Rice, and even if there was a 100, 120, 130 million pound windfall, to use a Boris Johnson expression, forgive me, we'll spaff the whole fucking lot up the wall on buying a load of rubbish with it. Because well, you'd we hope we didn't know. with Moyes at the helm. You know, you'd hope we didn't with Moyes at yeah, the helm. Well, you'd hope we wouldn't. Yeah. You'd hope we wouldn't. But, you know, mm. unfortunately, last season aside, our recruitment record has been bloody appalling in the main. Um, not just from now, but f- for many seasons. Now, Absolutely. I don't know, um, un- unless we're going to make Thomas Sauchek our chief scout and he comes back with a few more Eastern Europeans. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's absolutely vital. And where it is most vital is, for me, and I, I, I know that you know, one man is, is never entirely indispensable, but I think our fortunes going forward are completely and utterly tied around Declan Rice. If Declan Rice stays for the next couple of seasons, then we really have a chance of breaking through. But for him to stay... It's not a question of paying him his package that he wants. He needs to be satisfied that he's at a club that is going in the right direction, that is recruiting properly. And so when he turns up for training on Monday, he's looking at players thinking, yeah, I'm in the right place here. This is a a journey that I want to continue. Not a journey that it's over now. I can go no further at West Ham. And and, and it shouldn't all be about him. But... He, I think, in many other respects, is almost an identikit um, t- to to Bobby Moore. You know, he's gonna he can be England's golden boy. This fella, um, he's got he, you know he's got, he's the right personality. He plays. I mean, for you know, for a central midfielder to play every game at minimum rating of seven and a half is fantastic. Yeah, he's terrific. He never drops below it. I mean, the only variant is if he gets an eight or a nine. Um, The only other concern for me is, you know, typically for West Ham, of course, when you think about Dean Ashton and a few others, um, Rice's injury was was playing for England. And as somebody pointed out, it wasn't surprising that he got an injury playing for England because he carried them through two bleeding matches. Um, And that's, that's quite a lot to do for a young fella. But he did. I mean, he even, you know, he, he was man of the match in both those games. And in, in a team with much more stellar names than his, he's, he's hugely linked to our fortune going forward. And we've got to build a team around him, which means recruiting around him and making him feel that he's in the right place to achieve his ambitions in the game, not just ours. 
Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I mean, yeah, there's a couple of things there. If he wants to go, he'll want to go. You know, if he if his head is turned by Manchester United or Chelsea or something like that, there's not much we can do about that. And also we, you know, it, it, it's, it's the skill side of recruitment versus the sort of money side of recruitment. You know, yeah. we, we could sort of get Rodri to play alongside him, but Rodri costs £60 million, you know. Uh, good players the teams above us have like Pulisic is like an American you know he's not he's not a Spanish wizard or something he's a North American they usually shit he was 63 million I think he was 73 million pounds Pulisic Phil I don't disagree with that and that's why I said the recruitment it's not a question just of money the the level of recruitment and we recruited very well obviously in um, in the last 18 months um, it goes without saying, but um, we've got to keep, for a club of, of our financial constraint, we have to keep digging up gems and, and they're not easy yeah. to find. Um, no, like you say, Leicester, um, you know, Leicester have recruited extremely well, haven't they? And uh, and that's sort of what we, that's what we, the sort of level we have to be at. Mm. But, you know, it's sort of signs are promising. You know, we've, we've, we've done I very well I, in these last couple of windows. I think so. I think, I think you know, that, that's why I say <clears throat> you have to capitalise on these moments. I mean, Fafana, who I think really is, an out, is going to be is an outstanding, but he's mm. going to be the player that we hope Diop would be. I suspect Fafana yep. is going to be that player. Um, he had a straight choice, I believe, between, between West Ham and Leicester. Chose Leicester... Because on the face of it, at the start of the you know last season, if you looked at the two clubs and their trajectory, y- why wouldn't you? Yeah, choose oh, of course. But, in, of but course. in fact, now if you have that choice now, I'm not so sure it's so straightforward. Um, I agree with you. And uh, I think you know that we've we, I think Moyes Moyes so far his track record in the, in the transfer window uh, uh, has been good. I would say Simon, you know, I, we've had some terrible, terrible times in the in the transfer windows but I also I, I would say it's been patchy because we have picked up before Moyes turned up we picked up some some I think Fornaus is a great sign or Bonner has proved to be a a, a fantastic signing Cresswell uh, you know in terms of the year's service he's given the club was a very very good signing so you know we we, we don't we're not a we're not a total basket case uh, we are in certain <laughs> areas this obsession that the owners have with the marquee striker and pursuing yeah. Pursuing them when it's pretty obvious, you know. The, we 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 were after Lacazette, weren't we? we were after Batch, you know. That's yeah. a whole series of them, ridiculous sagas that you know keep keep you in the news on the back pages for the wrong kind of reasons, really. And I think, um, and you and you end up looking stupid when when these people don't turn up. Um, so the strike is crucial. Um, there were a few that were mentioned in the last window that that you know there's an Enesri chap in Spain. Um, Klosek, who's at the other Prague club, I think, who's mm. uh, supposed to be a great prospect. Wasn't there a guy at Celtic and Rain- or Rangers as well, wasn't there? Oh, was there? Celtic. Right. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Oh, I thought... Um, no, I the, the big strong rumour at the moment is this bloke, Alex Kral, another Czech, I believe, um, who is at Spartak Moscow at the moment, but was at Slavia. Um and uh, I don't know if you've seen much of him, but I, I, mean, I haven't watched him at any length. But he looks, from the clips that you see, he looks the right kind of player to be that third starting, you know, that third potential starting central midfielder. He's tall, 
quite quite good feet for a tall man you know um good engine you know puts his foot in but can also get on the end of things so um that you know that there are strong rumors that 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 one's going to happen aren't there he's he hasn't he is the player he's been tweeting lots of stuff about west ham so Right, you know, and he's got the checks. Yeah. Goes back to what I said. You know, um, <coughs> Chief Scout has become um, Thomas Southcheck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But listen, there's nothing wrong with that. All all I'm saying is is that it's a massively important window, and we have to get it right if we're going to maintain this trajectory um, for all the reasons. And there are varying reasons why that is so fundamentally important. But we obviously we all know we need a, a striker, and that's not going to be easy because strikers never are easy. And no. it's very difficult to find one who can walk into um, a Premier League team and hit the ground running. Um, if I put it like this, you know, it, it, it took, um, I mean, Dennis Bergkamp about a dozen games before he scored a goal for the Arsenal. And yeah. now he's one of their all-time greats. It's, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, and if we're going to continue with a... Uh, single striker in, in Mikel Antonio, subject, of course, to his fitness, which is always a recurring concern. Um, we need someone who is happy to sit on, on the bench and, and wait his chance. And if, by miracle, Mikel can actually go through more than four consecutive games without pulling a hamstring, um, then, that, then, he's, then he's not going to get much of a chance because Mikel Antonio is a very, very unique type of player. Um, but he suits our system if we're playing with one up front. You know, he's learned to play with his back to goal and he's actually unplayable mm. when he's on song, completely unplayable unless you're going to shoot him from the stands um, with, a, with, with, a, with a rifle. Um, you, you can't stop him. Well, I think uh, and I thought, I thought his goal the other week, I know, it was, I know the game was over, but the goal he scored against, um, oh, blimey, I've forgotten, West Brom. West Brom. I thought the third goal was just delicious, quite yeah. frankly. You know, I mean, as soon as he turned, got onto it, it's a beautifully weighted pass, of course, by um, Lingard. But um, as soon as he got onto it, I knew where it was going. I think yeah. everyone knew where it, where it was going. I think everything really about that place. goal, that, that goal was almost, you know, epitome of the season. You know, four hours, lost the ball, won it back, used it well quickly, set the attack off. Uh, Antonio, who has learned the trade of central striker very, very quickly, in my view, um, held his run so he didn't go offside. Beautifully weighted, sort of slip, slip pass from from Lingard, and as you say, a great kind of finish. Didn't have to, you know, knew where the goal was. You know, it was a striker's finish. Um, uh, yeah, and great summed us up. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. 
e-bikes that are cool AF. I can't remember when it was, either last week or the previous week, when both you and I, Jim, had independently been sort of going, trying to go back through previous games to see if we could see any pattern of, uh, you know, um, how well we play if a certain player is in the team. And it was difficult to conclude anything other than Masuaku. Masuaku. His two appearances coincided with our wins. But one thing I I saw was that we did play several different formations. A couple of times we played two up front. There was one where I think the front two was someone like Bowen and uh, Fornals, you know, and um, with, you know, a playmaker behind them. And, you know, so... Um, and the possibility of playing with sort of wing backs, if we did buy a new pacey um, left back who could also play wing back or manage to keep Masawaku fit, might allow for some different team formations as well. You know, I think um, certainly in his first spell, obviously Moyes was sort of painted into a corner a little bit with just the footballers he had available to him. And I think... <laughs> And I think that happened a little bit this season as well and has still been happening all the way sort of up to the end. So, so, you know, hopefully that some of these acquisitions won't necessarily have to fit into kind of pre-existing, you know, round holes when perhaps they're square pegs, but might allow us to play in sort of different kind of systems, you know, um, but, you know, we're all saying the same thing, really. It's, it's absolutely crucial for all sorts of reasons. You're right, for, for for going forward over the next 10 years, but just actually the practicalities, because, you know, it's a shame this season, you know, has been played in uh, behind closed doors because we might not finish sixth next year, you know? I mean... We won. It's hard to finish it, yeah. Thursday nights we, won't we, help. The fact is, I'd we won. Ama- I'd be amazed. So I don't think we should expect to, you know. No, no, I mean, that's absolutely uh, uh, right. But I, I'm not going to mind <clears throat> uh, finishing mid-table or, or uh, you know, even, even you know, 11th or 12th if what's clearly happening on the pitch and what's clearly happening in terms of uh, recruitment and the way the team is playing is that we're clearly building on what, on what we've done this, this season. You know, I think we have, you know, we've, we, we've, we've overachieved a bit. I mean, I don't think even Moyes expected this. So, no. um you know, is it is a you're, you, there's a danger that you set up expectations where you know, and 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 he made that point right at the start. He wanted to uh, kind of under promise and over deliver, and I think um, I think that's absolutely the right way the right way to go. But I think there will be a lot of people turning up at the ground. <laughs> um, um, yeah. We haven't talked much uh, recently about the impact of fans or whatever. You know. There, there will be a lot of people uh, saying, come on then, entertain us, you're, you know, and, and one way or another, it's a ground where w- when it gets up, when there's noise in that ground, it is terrific. Even the 10,000, when they were noisy, it was really loud um, on Sunday, but it went flat very quickly. And when it goes flat, it's it's depressingly flat, as I think I we, don't know, I Jim, we know. Because you obviously were there, um, and I don't yeah. know how fair a representation um, you get from watching it in those circumstances on the TV. Mm. But on the whole issue of crowd, and I know I have a very different view to Mark Webster um, from, from a couple of weeks ago when I heard the podcast, because um, he says there's nothing to, you, there's no yardstick by which to measure this. It's just a, a point of view. You can, can never be proved right. right and you can't be proved wrong. But I sort of noticed, even with 10,000 in the stadium, 
on Sunday, there was a point after about 10 or 15 minutes, it got a bit twitchy among the fans and it needed that first goal to sort of calm everyone down and um, for them to get behind the team. I don't know. That's how it came across on the screen. I don't know what it came across, how it came across rather in the stadium, but that's how it felt to me watching it. Yes, I think, I, yeah. And I think there is a danger that, that um, you know, fans do sit back and, and uh, expect the team just to kind of turn on performances, uh, you know, straight away. And yeah, I'm not necessarily twitchy, at least kind of frustrated um, when things don't instantly go, instantly go the team's way. And, and I think in the past, football crowds would often use that moment to, to, to kind of try and lift, try and lift mm. them to, you know, that I think, I don't think it's just a West Ham thing. I just don't think that happens in the modern world of, of football very much. Uh, uh, what, what does lift a crowd occasionally, even now in those situations is someone puts in a crunching tackle or goes on a good run, you know? Um, and I think you're right about right. Rice is the kind of player who can get a stadium up on his own just by, by, you know, making a beautifully timed tackle or picking up and doing one of those surging runs through the middle. They, they, they can, they can change the, 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 the feel in a, in a stadium. Yeah. Those kind of we have, we have actually, you know, had uh, on paper and in terms of results, one good season since we've moved to uh, the new stadium, which was Pellegrini's good season with a 10th place finish. But I think um, the mood was still a little bit infected by just worry about whether it's going to be like the previous season. So, mm. and we did also, you know, lose a couple of games quite badly. We beat that man. We beat Manchester United, didn't we? Jose Mourinho's Manchester United 3-1. Yeah. And that was a great day. Great game. Everyone loved it. But we had a couple of quite bad results, you know, around that time as well. And I think, um, you know, it's a shame that this season, because this would be another season on the back of a good season. And Pellegrini's season was on the back of a very bad season with, you yeah. know, some survival at the end. So it's a it's sort of a shame that it was played behind closed doors this season because I think it is it's going to have I'm to be so a little sure. bit. I I got to tell you I'm not so sure um, and I'm I'm a believer that I I know um, Weber has a different view to me on this. I think we really did benefit from no crowds, um, and I'm sorry to say that, and it's really quite embarrassing. I, I I'm I'm the first to say and I'm going to get absolutely slated for this. I think there are a very large minority of West Ham fans who are complete pain in the arses and really um, create more trouble than it's worth. There's an underbelly of toxicity um, that I think is just bubbling along, waiting for the right opportunity. And you can only imagine whatever happens in the window, if we start next season, as we started last season, with, with a home defeat against a middle-ranked team and then an, then an away defeat, and then we go home again. If we're not winning that game, like we beat Wolves comfortably, say 2-0 by half-time, mm. you can just imagine in that stadium, it's going to start. Those rumblings are going to start. And I, I, I think we I benefited think we from will, the absence of all, all of that. I don't think we will start the season the same way. And, I, and I'll tell you why I think things will be different, even if, even if the results don't necessarily go our way. I think this team, as it is, and hopefully the good players that are going to get added to it, um, have 
uh, a never say die attitude. They run and they work. So yeah. I don't think it was twitchy in the stadium, but I, I, it went flat. It was flat at times. I think it was twitchy because what comes off the pitch is the sense of confidence from those players. They think, you know, okay, so we've conceded a couple of chances to Southampton. We, 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 we're going to get, we're going to make some chances. We're going to create something. The team that lost to Newcastle had Haller in it and it had Anderson starting. Mm. And what there isn't in that team now um, uh, is a player on the fringe who's really clearly not committed. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? No passengers. Uh, Chase and Harry. Yeah. Sorry. No passengers, yeah. No passengers. I think that's made a difference. See, now, you know, for example, Soufal didn't have his greatest game on Sunday and Redmond gave him a lot of a lot of trouble. But he never stopped, never stopped running, never stopped trying, never stopped, you know, uh, being committed. You know, he just oozes passion for the game. Um, and I think West Ham, I, I, I take your point. You're absolutely right. The last few years, it's been, you know, that, that, that transition, you know, it has been... Toxic at, at, at times, there's no question. But I think this group of players and the way that the now the manager, I think, has won people over, and, and I would think the majority of West Ham fans uh, were not in the pro Moyes camp at the start of this season. I think the way they've won them over, I, I, I think they'll have some grace, even if one or two performances, uh, sorry, one or two results don't go our way at the start of next season. Uh, I, I think they've, they've got some credit in the bank now. Um, I feel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, in, in terms of who they bring in, I mean, you've just got to, got to find the right sort of players, haven't you? Because they, there is a spirit there that Lingard was almost exactly the right move for us, a lone player from a big club who can't get a kick but has kept his fitness and comes in and the enthusiasm with which he's met and the talent around him, albeit nobody costs, you know, half of what his teammates at Manchester United costs. Um, You know, there's talented players that he clearly thinks are good and, like, make him look good and he makes them look good. And that's what we want to come in. You know, players with big egos kind of just won't be welcome, I don't think. It's just... I think the key for me, and I've said this before, is that we have to recruit players, aside from their ability for whom playing at West Ham is either a significant step up, provides them with an opportunity to better themselves, or even more importantly, gives them something to prove. And and I think if you look across, and I've said it, I know before, but that great um, underbelly of our club at the moment, our team at the moment, you know, Jesse Lingard was the ideal signing because he had something to prove. Yeah. He wasn't going to come. There was no point for him signing for us for six months um, just to make up the numbers because he could do that at Man United um, and come south. And wh- why would he want to? He's a, he's a local boy there. So he had something to prove. I've always thought that Mikel Antonio has his whole career to prove because he, so, he came to the game so late. Yeah. Um, Declan Rice has always had something to prove. In his case, it is, Chelsea, you were mugs to let me go and I'm going to prove you all wrong. Salchek and Soufal, for them, it's a huge step up. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry, but it is. I don't want to be accused of xenophobia because I hate, but I mean, that's the sad reality of it. For them, it's a big step up. It's not like, you know, getting off the plane from from Spain or Brazil or Argentina. Um, yeah. This is a great opportunity coming to play. You're living in London. 
um, you're playing in a huge stadium and you're playing for a, a club that's got um, a reputation around the world. And for them, it's a step up. And I think that is the key to making the right recruitment. We need players for whom there is a good reason for them to come to play for our team other than an, ex an overinflated pay packet. Yeah. I, I, totally, I totally agree with that. I think that's absolutely you know, bang on the money. And, and the point you make about Lingard is abs absolutely right. And, but, but a lot of West Ham fans were not happy with, not happy with that. They wanted the mega bucks spent on a, on, a, on a striker and they were not happy with the Lingard um, uh, loan signing. They weren't happy with the, even less happy with the Dawson one. And Moyes has proved right about both those signings, yeah. in a sense. Um, I, 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 you know, I will be worried if we are starting with Dawson as our starting centre-back next season, as, I, as I've said. But he's done a job. There's, there's no question, you know, when we were, um, you know, short of bodies, he, he really has stepped up. Um, and Lingard, you know, the first few games, it was, an it was a revelation. He absolutely really had something to prove. He has definitely... Um, you know, taking a step back from those levels that he was at in the first three, where he was, I think, I running fueled on adrenaline and a sense of opportunity, wanted to get back in the England squad and so on. Um, so I'm, I'm in the camp. I, I, you know, that is, I, I, I very happy if Lingard stays, but I'm not too fussed if he goes, uh, provided we we uh, do bring in someone with with kind of pace up front. That's the you know, yeah, absolutely. Get, as a striker, you, can't yeah. be a, can't be a, you know. <laughs> we're slightly doing their accounting the for. We're slightly doing their accounting for them because I sort of, you know, part of my concern about be of uh, you know buying Jesse Lingard would be that both for his price and his wages, it might be a massive lump of our transfer budget. You know, and um, because we're not a, a team with the the, the as, as I've said before with the sort of pockets of a Manchester City or a Chelsea or a, even a Spurs. You know, we we have to sort of cut our cloth, whatever that saying is, a little more sort of carefully. That is the saying. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I, I, in, a funny sort, in a funny sort of way, I, I agree with you, but for a different reason. I, I actually think that um, it may be in one of these quirks of circumstance that we have got, we have had the best what, 15 matches or performances from Jesse Lingard that he's ever going to give. Yeah. Because it was, for us, it was a perfect storm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure, even if the money were available um, and put aside the, the financial implications of it, that he would actually reproduce next season and the season after that what has gone before it because the motivation, I think, won't be, it won't be the same. I think it that's really right. It won't yeah. be the same. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And and there are, you know, um, if you were going to sort of spend a, a sort of a large amount of money on a footballer, it's possible you might be able to sort of coax, you know, someone like Etze away from Crystal Palace. Or there's players out there that if you offer a large amount of money, which is what we, we would undoubtedly have to spend to secure the services of Jesse Lingard, you might be able to get someone else from a, another club and get them over. One of those Leeds boys, you know, there's some, there's good players out there, you know, uh, and, and ones with the right attitude, ones that, you know, um, would like to come and play for us, like to come and play with, uh, you know, Declan and Jarrod and Pablo, you know, um, they're out there, you know, with fingers crossed for a good transfer window, really. Well, I mean, look, I, I think that um, look, the striker is the hardest thing of, of the lot. 
Um, and if I was um, if I was David Moyes, I'd be on the phone. Um, notwithstanding, he's got a Champions League final to prepare for over the weekend to Thomas Tuchel and saying, what is it going to take for West Ham to take Tammy Abraham on loan for a season? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, because that's the sort of signing, because it falls back into that category, doesn't it? You have something to prove. Um, he obviously knows Deck. Um, you could see him fitting in quite perfectly. Yeah. Um, playing even ahead of Mikel Antonio, um, and let Mikel, you know, bulldoze his way through and say, "Here, here, son, you just roll it in." Yeah. Um, I'm quite happy with that. But that's the sort of signing that we need. Um, a, a player who has got a lot more to give. Um, I think everyone will agree, but um, being with us will give them the platform to prove it, and it won't, and we won't have to invest, you know, um, the next transfer entire transfer budget to secure their services. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I think the loan market is very, very important. And so far, Moyes has, has suggested that you know he plays the loan market pretty, pretty well. Uh, yeah, I don't disagree with that. I think if we were to bring uh, um, Abraham in on loan. I still think we probably would then need to buy one. <laughs> to, um, I, I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I, we need a fir- we need a first team striker, someone who's going to really make Antonio have to compete for his for his place, not just a not just a deputizer for Antonio. Um, uh, and I, yeah, I don't know if Abraham's that. I don't know. If, I don't know if that's. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about him. I mean, I think I, we should. I, do I, don't, I don't dislike him as a player and, and as a loan signing. I. As you described it, I would be very happy with that. I think we do need to, you know, acquire like, you know, at least two because that's what football teams have. They often have like four strikers on their books, same way they're four central defenders. We like we've we've had sort of none. We've got a converted winger. <laughs> and and well, like, two, no, I suppose, because Bowen Bowen occasionally plays up front and he's Yeah, a, I suppose he's so. A, he's still, he's an old fashioned inside forward, really. Yeah, he's sort of an inside forward, really. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, so so I would certainly like to see us, you know. Get a couple, maybe a loan and a signing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that, I would think, but yeah, I, I, yes, absolutely. I, I, that's yeah. Um, it's probably about time we should uh, wrap this up. No predictions, obviously. No. Uh, as no. we uh, predict what our first fixture will be. <laughs> Wolves. <laughs> there, I've said it. Uh, uh, but it's been an enjoyable season. It's been a really, you know, yeah. um, there was a lot of talk about. Uh, um, you know, somebody on Facebook said, would you take this season uh, over the 1999 Harry Redknapp fifth place finish, uh, last best finish in the Premier League? Um, and people were commenting on that and saying, well, actually, um, we scored less goals and we conceded more goals. This is technically a better season, even though we're a place lower. Um but, you know, it also had a lot of really, you know, the, our highlights reel. Match of the Day had a goal of the season with 10 we goals. And we were three of them. Yeah. And, you know, earlier in the season, um, goal of the month had two of our goals in it. And that yeah. sort of hasn't happened for years. You know, some of the kind of build-up play and the, um, the fast moving of the ball and the interplay has been great this season. Uh, we've um, been good to watch at times, definitely. Yeah. yeah no question. And difficult well, to beat. Very I think that's it's the combination, and, and people forget this. You know, even um, the very best teams, and we're nowhere close to this. Um, even though we've got probably got a double pivot that would rival it. You know, the, the Arsenal invincible team 
um, they could play and play beautifully when they had when, when they had the opportunity. But my God, they could fight for it when they yeah. didn't. Yeah, and and you need that combination. Unless you're Manchester City, but then you're playing a sovereign you're you're playing a sovereign wealth fund. You're yeah. not playing a football club. I'm sorry, I've got no gripe against Manchester City. But you're not playing a football club. You're playing no. a sovereign wealth fund who can actually acquire any player it chooses um, if they're prepared to go there. And so um, they can play in a certain way because they have 20 players who are all of a given level yeah. to play that tiki-taka, which I personally and I'm not particularly a fan of. But they can do that. And they're the only club in, in the country that can. Yeah. Um, but other than that, it's a mixture or combination of hard work and having to stick it in Rose Ed when you need to stick it in Rose Ed. Um, yeah. And there's no getting away from it. And West Ham historically have always been a team that have combined the beauty and the beast. You know, yes. the idea, you know, for me in, in my lifetime, the greatest ever West Ham midfield was when Trevor Brooking played alongside Billy Bonds. Billy I mean, Bonds, it, was yeah. the, it was the ultimate beauty and the ultimate beast. Yeah. And that's yeah. what it was fantastic. And as much as those games I remember in the, from the 70s into the 80s, where it it would be you'd be off your feet because Trevor would be dancing around three players or or curling one into the far post. It'd be exactly the same reaction watching Bill upend um, a six foot eight, twenty stone central defender and and just carry on like 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 he's been like he's picked up a child and, and, and turfed it to the side. Yeah, that yeah. was as much of the fun and the excitement of it. And it's that combination um, for me is what actually. West Ham United is all about. It's yes. not one or the other. It's that combination. And this season we've had a we've had a deal of that. Yeah. A huge deal of it. Because we haven't had, going back to that 1999 season, you know, we don't have Paolo De Cania, but we're, you know, obviously, or Eal Berkowitz. You know, so mm -hmm. it can only be what it can be. You know, those players are extraordinary talents, and we don't necessarily have that, but we we have a great combination of, of play, and that's where it's been marvellous. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Fine words to end on. Uh, uh, any more thoughts? This has been Stop Hammer Time. My name is Phil <laughs> Whelans. Uh, with me this week have been Jim Grant. Cheerio. Cheers, Jim. And Simon Pentel. Tada, lovely to see everybody and have a very good summer. You too. Come on, you irons. This is a playback media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at westhampodcast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply